I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Welcome to Go and Do. This lesson covers Mosiah chapters 18 through 24, and Feely and I are joined by Dustin Call to discuss how the Lord makes our burdens light even in the most challenging circumstances, why the Lord chooses the organization of the church to move forward his gospel, and how within that organization we have to have a sense of unity and community, especially by means of ministering uh, to help us strengthen each other and fortify our testimonies. And we hope that you enjoy it. It says, you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples that come from a seed. And, I mean, I've heard different ways of saying that, but I thought that was a really cool and graphic way to, to represent that, because everyone's eaten an apple and seen the seeds inside. And you know that there's a finite number. There's even little compartments for them in the apple. But we don't know the potential that can come from one of those seeds. And it's a perfect illustration for what Abinadi did and what he was like uh, planting that seed and hoping that someone, that it would take hold and that someone would run with it. And Alma literally ran with it. He ran away, hid, and then started teaching in secret and really uh, revitalized the gospel in that, in that area, in that population. Everything else that happened in the Book of Mormon, you know, from that time forth is because of Abinadi and Alma accepting his message. Like that was kind of a, a choke point funnel. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Yeah. Like everything else spanned out from that. Nothing else in the Book of Mormon would have happened had uh, Alma not believed in Abinadi's words. I, I thought it was interesting how uh, they chose to bro break up this section. Because it kind of starts with um, Alma and kind of his conversion and him starting to preach and, and, and get a gathering. And then the people, the King Noah kind of, I think it says he noticed a disturbance amongst the people. And he sent out the spies and noticed that they're gathering. And then Alma's warned that they're going to come get him. And so they, the people that commit to the Lord, you know, they, they run away. And then, then it's kind of the story of what happens with King Noah and how he's then later killed. And then his son, uh, King, what is it? Uh, Limhi. Yeah. yeah, he he takes over and he's a more righteous guy, but he's still having to 
they don't have the gospel and then they regret, they wish they would have uh, done what they did to Abinadi. Then they wish they would knew they would have known where Alma had went to, and then they're kind of left struggling with the Lamanites and having to pay tribute and having to uh, lose the daughters and the the old you know the King Noah's uh, elders or high priests still cause troubles and they fight. And I the part I thought was really interesting is when they fought three times and failed every single time. And it wasn't until they humbled themselves and then they were let out and then Alma's let out. And then that's kind of where it kind of ends the story. It's interesting because we're about to hear two different types of deliverances. One is these people were righteous and still had trials. And these people were not righteous, but then became righteous and also had trials. And, And the thought that for me was... Uh, really stuck with me is that being righteous doesn't exempt you from trials. In the manual, it says that. It says even being righteous doesn't exempt you from trials, but it will help you overcome them. I had that same thought, too. It was interesting to see, you know, it made it very clear that the the Lord heard the cries of Limhi and his people, but allowed them to suffer, you know, and, and and it said here in the scriptures, I'm looking for it. It, it said in, in chapter 21, it says, "Yea, and all this was done that the word of the Lord might be might be fulfilled." Right? Been that I prophesied to these people that if they weren't righteous, that they would suffer the consequences, and they had to suffer mm-hmm. the consequences, even though things were getting better. They still had to to go through that, and and, and just like you said, <laughs> um. Both parties suffered, you know, in in 23, chapter 23, verse 21, it says, Nevertheless, the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people. Yea, he tried their patience and their truth. Sometimes I think it's hard to know the difference between punishment for wickedness and trials for righteousness. But the only thing that matters when it comes down to it is that we're obedient, despite it. Um, I hope that the Lord will bless us because of our obedience. But even if he feels that we still need to continue through trial, we still need to be obedient regardless. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he answers their prayers by making their burdens lighter. But consequences are consequences, right? He's not just going to say, oh, you're praying to me, asking me for help. Okay, you're right. You did this wrong thing and now you're suffering so i'll let you out of this one just this one time you know no he he says listen this was my word this is what you've done these are the consequences you have fallen bondage to the lamanites or maybe in our situation it's something less uh all-encompassing right we're not being held bondage by a people but our decisions have consequences and he won't just take it away but when we humble ourselves, he will make it easier to bear those consequences. He does have that much mercy. He could say, listen, you made your bed, now you got to sleep in it, right? A lot of times we feel like when those burdens aren't immediately completely lifted when we pray, um, we feel like maybe he's abandoned us or he doesn't love us or maybe people start to think that God doesn't even exist. I'm, I'm suffering, I'm praying for help, and there's, I'm not being relieved of my suffering. But he, he is there, and he will make us 
be able to bear those burdens better if we go to him humbly. When Alma's people prays to be delivered, the Lord causes a deep sleep to fall over the Lamanites. And when uh, the people of King Limhi, their escape plan is more, we will get them drunk and we will sneak out. Mm-hmm. So there was a there was one that was like more helpful than the other, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, but when you were talking, I was thinking about how, you know, the example of you know two football teams or two sports teams are about to compete, and one side you may have those players praying for their outcome. Let us win, you know, and then you have the other side praying for their outcome. And it's like, how does God decide who wins? And in some scenarios, like especially like this, it's sometimes we pray regardless of other people's agency or or without consideration to other people's prayers. Like we want God to give us a miracle despite other people's agency. And I don't think that often happens. I think God continues to answer our prayers through not taking away people's agencies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That was kind of weird. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I think, um, I mean, I, I think what you're trying to say is, you know, if both sides are praying for something, he kind of, there's sometimes I think he'll step back and let the outcome kind of unfold. As it does, because because right. there, I mean, King King Noah's wicked actions are still being felt, even though he's dead. And and it wasn't just enough that he passed away. What he it's kind of like that example you used at the beginning the the apple seeds. How many apples can you count in a seed, and how many seeds you can count in an apple? Meaning, King Noah's decisions will have impacted these people even after he's gone. And likewise, righteous leaders do the same. And uh, they're still having to pay for the the high priests of King Noah's and their decisions, you know, this awful situation that they're in. And repentance doesn't automatically mean, you know, all the consequences are wiped away. You know what I mean? That's how we learn too. I mean, if if everything was made better immediately after repentance, then I don't think we'd learn our lesson the right way. I think we're meant to remember the mistakes. We're meant to to suffer consequences, and and sometimes those have lasting effects. To kind of help us say, man, I don't ever want to do that again, because if it's if if everything's just made better and and we don't suffer them, then uh, I just think it makes it easier to same, make that same mistake again. Well, and there's that concept of like, almost like divine suffering, or, you know, it's not God, shame, God it's guilt, sorrow. and yeah, godly sorrow, where you're like, you're, you're feeling it's healthy sometimes to feel a little bit like you need to fix something, you need to be better. And it's a motivator, and it's also something that propels us to be better people and to not repeat the same sins again. I mean, going back to when they're baptizing in the waters of Mormon, and he's telling them, you know, you're going to become different people. If you're ready to mourn with those with, that mourn, like, to comfort those that stand in need of comfort, if you're ready to stand 
for God in all things and in all places and all times, you know, then enter the waters of baptism at this time. And they were ready. And I think when you make that kind of commitment, when you're making that covenant and you're showing the Lord, look, I'm ready to do all of this stuff. Um, the reciprocating promise is that you'll always have his spirit. You'll have the guidance and that you'll have your, your sins forgiven you. And I think when we're looking at this as a, as a two way promise, you really you're promising him. I plan to be as good as I can be. And when I make mistakes, I need you to help me reset. I need you to help me repent, you know? That, that scripture in uh, chapter 18, verse 8, is a classic one that we always, as missionaries, use to commit people to baptism, right? I think we've all used that <laughs> at yeah. some point. And, but when I read it, I really, it, what really stuck out to me was uh, perfection isn't a requisite to baptism, you know? Yeah. You're, not, you're not asked to be perfect and then be baptized. And what is asked of you? is not when when he says right here uh, at the end of verse eight, when it says uh, ye are desires to come into the fold of God. So it's your, you want to be part of this community. You want to be part of this group and to be called his people and are willing to bear one another's burdens. And I, I read that in this day and age right now in this stage where we're having these Corona fights, these political arguments, all of these things. And, and what stuck out to me is the Lord is asking his people not to be isolationists, not to be isolated, but to be involved. To, And then it, it tells us how. Mourn with those that mourn. Comfort those that stand in need of comfort. Stand as a witness of God. And all of these things are very kind of external. You're, it, it's not a lot of these examples he's using he's not saying are you willing to uh stay away from everybody else keep yourself isolate you know and i'm not this please don't understand i'm not saying go out there and share the virus or anything i'm saying are you willing to care about others are you willing to think beyond yourself because for me for a long time i can think of as members of the church we just kind of have to like turtle turtle together and stay huddled in the middle and circle the wagons and, and keep Babylon at bay type of thing. And it's, and I didn't get that sense reading this. I get this more like he, the Lord expects us to go make a difference, to go be witnesses, to go uh, be involved. He's describing ministering, right? That's exactly what ministering is yeah. supposed to be these days. That's, that's, yeah, that's perfectly true. It was interesting, about two weeks into not having, like, organized church in the church building, I got an email. It was like one of those broadcast emails to the entire ward from the bishop. And he was saying, basically, I know that there's a lot of people struggling that are feeling a disconnect from one another, that are feeling like they don't have a connection with the church anymore, that they don't, they're feeling isolated and my first reaction was, uh, it's only been two weeks, and everyone's like a phone call away. Like, how are people feeling isolated and disconnected? And then I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, maybe you don't, Daniel. But 
maybe some people really that is their one time when they go and they reconnect with their the members of their church community, right? And I thought, well, we don't know how long this is going to go, and we don't know when we're going to be able to go back to church again. So I also thought, you know, not many people are able to really do their weekly callings like they're used to doing. So it kind of played out that the guy that was in charge of the newsletter for our ward had just barely had a baby and was kind of swamped. And so I offered the bishop, I was like, what if we reach out to all the organizations in the ward and we have them contribute something to like a more robust newsletter and we make it almost like a magazine, you know, send in what would have been your lesson for this week and we can send out that whole thing uh, to the ward every week. That way people can still kind of do their callings. They can still send in whatever announcements or updates or whatever they might have for their different groups. And he was like, sure, yeah, that sounds great. So every week now I've been getting stuff from all the different organizations and I've been kind of making it look nice and sending it back to him as a PDF and then he sends it out to the ward. And I think it's just kind of a way of saying, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know what this is going to be like, but we shouldn't have to stop doing our callings. And there's a way that we can still mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. And maybe it's just reading a quick little blurb from your Relief Society president or your Young Women's president or something saying, hey, we're still around and we still care and this still matters, you know, so that when we go back to church, it's not we're starting all, all over from scratch again. No, we still have these callings and we can still carry them out in a different way, but it's still possible. And I don't know. It's been really cool it's been a lot of work but at the same time it's been really cool to see as i get you know random emails from people saying thank you so much for this this is really nice to read these articles and stuff i think that that's the bare minimum we can do is reach out to one another and maintain some sort of connection as a as a unified community you know yeah my testimony of of just the changes that have been made in the church recently has been strengthened through this. Um, we got preached my gospel, or I'm sorry, come follow me, you know, just recently. And now, you know, we have this going on and home center church is a thing. And, um, you know, with, with modern technology, uh, there's no reason why we can't continue to connect with each other and fulfill our callings. Like imagine if this had happened 40, 50 years ago, right? Yeah. That, that you know how hard it would be but uh you know in my ward we we've been using zoom to continue to have mutual with the kids each week you know we get them all on a video call and we've we've played Fortnite together we've uh <laughs> you know we're gonna have a, a talent show this upcoming week um via video you know and i've used everything from facebook messenger to, to texting obviously to stay in touch with my ministering families and there, there's so many ways to still stay connected with each other and to, to fulfill our callings and the minister. In the Sunday School manual for Come Follow Me, from Elder D. Todd Christofferson, he says, I realize that there are those who consider themselves religious or spiritual and yet reject participation in a church or even the need for such an institution. Religious practice is for them purely personal. Yet the church is the creation of him in whom our spirituality is centered, Jesus Christ. It's worth pausing to consider why he chooses to use a church, his church, 
the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to carry out his and his father's work. And then in the talk, Why, Why the Church, he says, um, to create a community of saints that will sustain one another in the straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life. Joined in faith, we teach and edify one another and strive to approach the full measure of discipleship. And I think this kind of goes back to, there's a poem I heard one time and, you know, I wish I were President Monson and had memorized pretty much everything I'd ever read because then I could recite it to you. But basically the concept is that this guy has a lantern that's lit and he is able to help someone else light their lantern. And then there's another time when his lantern goes out and then that guy comes back and helps him light his. And it's that concept of we're not always at 100%. There might be times when we're feeling like we're firing on all cylinders and we're just filled with the spirit and we're just, we feel great. Um, but then there's other days when you're maybe at 50% and you need a boost and you need somebody else to come in. And it's, that's okay. And it's okay to rely on other people to come in and, and, and fortify you. And that's, that's why we have that community, right? And that's why we, we need to comfort those that stand in need of comfort. And I would even say push those that need pushing through ministering. Sometimes I, I wouldn't say that everyone necessarily needs to be reactivated. Some people are very active and we feel like, oh, they don't need ministering. No, they do. Everyone does. Um, sometimes it's just, okay, well, you're, you're doing okay, but what's the next thing? How can you even become even better? How can you do even better? So... I really think that, that that concept to create a community of saints is, is really good that he mentions. You know, when you were saying there at the end, I, I thought about when you said um, everybody needs someone to minister or to minister to. You know, just because you're ministering to someone else doesn't mean that you have to teach them, you know. Some of the people you may be assigned, they it may be that they're teaching you, you know, um, it's mm -hmm. not always like, there's a lot of knowledge out there and it's just being a friend, you know, uh, when it comes down to it is being a friend and how it's important to learn how to develop friendships with people of different, different stages in life and beliefs and, and and personalities you know when when i remember when you first go out you're like a teacher you're 14 and you get assigned most of the time your dad to be your partner and you go and just you as a youngster being able to speak up is a huge benefit it's just a huge training tool and then even now a lot of people that uh, live next to me are they're more in the retirement age of their life you know? and uh, just having to talk to them and, and just approaching things differently it, there's nothing wrong with that and there's it's it's not always does it have to be a teacher student relationship you know what i mean sometimes you can just mutually be friends and there's there's just watching out for each other that yeah. in the manual, in the manual, it makes us, um, it asks us to go to uh, chapter 18, verse 17. And it says, and they were called the church of God or the church of Christ from that time forward. And it came to pass that whosoever was baptized by the power and authority of God 
was added to this church. And then in the manual it says, as Alma and his people discovered, following Jesus Christ sometimes means leaving a familiar way of life for something new and difficult. But Alma's people drew strength from each other as part of the church of Christ. And um, I like that because in order to be a disciple of Christ, we all have habits we need to change. Some we need to improve, some we need to abandon. And we can do, we can help each other as we share how we've overcome things, as we share our talents. It can help someone else increase their talent or let go of wrong way of ways of thinking. And, you know, we, in the world we live in, we always say, hey, we could use more kindness. We can use more, more compassion, more understanding. But none of that is possible if we don't know each other. And you know each other by meeting often, by talking to one another, by ministering to each other, you know? It doesn't just magically happen, more kindness in the world. You know, you have to be involved. You have to uh, let that kindness come from understanding someone, getting to know someone and realizing they have a different perspective or I thought they were like this and once I got to know them, I appreciate them more. You know, and if we can't do that amongst our close religious um, discipleship members, friends, how could we ever expect to do that with with the world? You know, how could we ever expect to change the world or, or be an influence for good? You know? Yeah, we need to not think of our ministering assignments as assignments. <laughs> ministering, when it comes down to it, is just about being a good friend. Um, like one of the, one of the families I minister to, the sister also ministers to my wife. Um, and so we just check up on each other and just stay in touch as friends, you know, which is, it's natural. It's the way it should be trying to check off a list where you're sharing a message or, you know, checking in once a week or whatever. Like that's, that's not the essence of it. Right. I've been, yeah. I've been started to read through the new saints volume two. Um, and in those very early chapters, it talks about the Exodus and Nauvoo. Um, and that's a really good example of ministering. Um, they had people of all different stations. They had poor, they had wealthy. Um, and they had to work together and support each other to get everybody out. And even, it's, you know, you'll read about Brigham Young getting down in the mud. And making several trips back and forth, back and forth, leader of the church, right? Doing what he needed to do to care for the people. After dark, he was the last one in the camp. He made several trips back and forth between the camp that they had on the other side of the river in Nauvoo. Um, and even he, as the leader of the church, was was doing the dirty work, right? Doing what needed to be done to care for people. It's, you know, it's just a great example of we need to do whatever we can to care for each other, right? We should never think that we're exempt or we're above this or, or anything like that. Exactly. Kind of what you were saying about it not being an assignment. Um, it kind of reminds me of like when you were assigned reading for school versus reading a book that you actually are interested in. The books that I had to read were rarely that interesting and it felt burdensome and because it, it was an assignment. And the whole time you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be asked questions about this and I'm going to have to report on this. 
versus just reading for something you're interested in and something that you enjoy. And that's how we should kind of approach ministering. We should approach it as something that we enjoy doing, um, kind of reaching out to people as friends and not, <clears throat> I mean, it's pretty easy to identify when someone's doing it because they have been told to, you know, versus doing it because you're just genuinely interested in how someone is doing. Uh, <laughs> it, I know that doing something is better than nothing, right? So even if you do feel like, well, I, I have to go and call this person to see how they're doing, that's still better than just ignoring it. But we've all gotten those phone calls where they're like, hey, this is your home teacher. This is your ministering person. I'm just calling in to see how you're doing this month. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. There's nothing. It won't get beyond that. You know, it'll just be like, yeah, we're fine. We're, we're good. We're no, nothing to report, you know. Do you need anything? No, don't need anything. Oh, okay, well, let me know. Okay. And that's yeah. pretty much how it, as deep as it goes. And I think the whole objective behind ministering is to propel us deeper than that, to make it a little bit more like I don't have to ask monthly, but I might even be able to tell without even asking. Something's going on with that guy. And the only way you're going to know that is if you know them. That's kind of the key there. It's a little bit difficult sometimes, but that's the key. We do have assignments, but that's just to make sure everybody's taken care of. It doesn't yeah. mean that you can only minister to those you're assigned to, right? No. We, no. We, have, we have neighbors around us that, that live closer that are just across the street, uh, closer than those that I minister to. And, you know, I'll still ping them occasionally. Sure. Just to be a good neighbor, to be a good friend, to be a good fellow saint. You know, yeah. There's no reason why we can't all minister to each so, other. So my question would be, is what happens when you don't feel that? Like when you honestly don't want to talk to other people, don't want to make friends, don't you don't feel that within you. I, I'm not, <laughs> like I'm trying to say, like it makes sense <clears throat> if you buy into that that's something that we should exhibit. That's the kind of attribute that as a disciple we should have. And we can all raise our hands in Sunday school and say, oh, we should help each other. We should help each other. But then how many of us actually do it? So there's a disconnect from saying it and actually doing it. And how do you get yourself? Because I, I found myself in those scenarios. And and I and I'm saying that, and it's kind of like a, a, a setup question, because because I look at the, in Moroni when uh, chapter seven, when when he talks about charity. And uh, and charity is is everything. Um, and and in chapter seven, verse forty five, and it says, "And charity suffereth long, and is kind, envieth not, and is not puffed up, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, and rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things." And so he, he, they're giving us this roadmap. This is how you should feel about the tasks or how you should feel when you go represent the Savior, how you should feel when you interact with each other. You should feel these things. But he says, uh, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, if ye have not charity, ye are nothing. For charity never faileth. Wherefore, cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all, for all things must fail. But charity is the pure love of Christ, and it endureth forever. And whoso is found possessed of it in the last day, it shall be well with him. 
And I read that and I say, that's what we are trying to aspire to. That's the kind of like almost like the acid test to our discipleship. Like, did we really learn what we needed to learn as we were disciples? And then if we're found with those characteristics, not our deeds, but how we did our deeds, how we acted, how we felt inside, then it's going to be good with us. And, and then 48 is the big answer where it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pay, pray unto the Father with all the energy of your heart that ye may be filled with this love. And for me, it's like there are many times when I am not filled with that love, when I'm resentful, when I'm pride, prideful, when I'm selfish, when I'm judgmental. But he's saying you need to pray that you can feel like this, that you may be filled with this love, which he has bestowed upon all who are true followers of his son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God. And when ye shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, for we shall have his hope that we may be purified even as he is pure. So I just think about that because I think, I just look at myself, you know, I find myself, almost my initial reaction to many things is like the natural man way of doing things. And then I have to stop myself. I have to think. And I have to put my mind and my heart in the right place and then go perform and then go minister. You know, from when I was a teenager and crazy to now, which I'm a little less crazy, I can see I have improved. I can see that my initial reactions are better. And and that's part of this life. It's It's a training phase. We use these opportunities to train ourselves to to mold our character and charity and serving others is a tool to help us demonstrate how we truly feel inside. And, and that's not to say that sometimes we don't feel right. We may not feel that we should minister or that we should care for that person. But the test of and, the, and what we're called to do is get yourself where you need to be to feel that way. And, and I like that phrase where it says, bestowed upon all who are true followers of his son. And I, and I think of that, that sentence as saying, if you really want to, if you have a desire, kind of like DNC chapter four, if you have a desire, you're called to the work. I think that it's a lot easier to minister to someone that you already get along with and that maybe you have a lot in common with. And then when you see on your assignment that there's somebody you don't even know, maybe you've never even heard of, that's kind of harder, you know, to have all this uh, burning desire to go and get to know the intricacies of their life and what their ne- spiritual and physical needs are and all that. Like it, it that's a hard thing to want to do because even sometimes it, it just feels uncomfortable. You feel like I'm imposing on these people who if they wanted this, the church building's right there. They could come and get it if they wanted and they're not. So what am I what am I supposed to do about that? But I think what you said there, you know, the key is kind of to pray for it. What I I have the rights to receive guidance from the Lord through the Spirit. And if I'm trying to do my best, I can pray and say, Okay, I'm willing. Help me out here, you know. Give me some guidance as to what to say. Give me some guidance even to feel motivated to do it. And then remembering in, in Mosiah 18, uh, verse 8, 
um, kind of in the middle of the verse, it says, As ye are desirous to come into the fold of God and to be called his people and are willing to bear one another's burdens that they may be light. Keep in mind, when we take upon ourselves the name of Christ, we're covenanting to take the responsibility to represent him and act as he would act. And to remind ourselves we have the sacrament and to remind ourselves we have the scriptures that constantly are saying things like, like this, like this scripture, you know, you're called to be his people. That, that That's there. That, that doesn't go away. Once you've been baptized and you've entered into that fold, we have to remember we represent him and uh, what he would do. A good service is motivated by love, right? The more we love somebody, the better we'll serve them. But at the same time, we can grow to love somebody by serving them. So it's like a chicken and egg yeah. thing, right? So if yeah. you're struggling, if you're struggling, just serve, right? Open your heart. Let the Lord work with you. Serve, build that love, and that love will, will beget even greater service. It also reminds me of the, of the seed of faith that Alma talks about in chapter 32, right? Even if you can have no more than a desire to believe, and I usually tell people, you can take that even one step further. Even if you can only have a desire to have a desire, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Know? Pray, serve, do what you're supposed to do. The Lord will help you. It's funny because we, we all can feel how our... That's the biggest... For me, the biggest miracle of the gospel and what builds my testimony the most is me just being introspective and seeing how I f- used to feel and and seeing how I feel about things. And there are things that I had no interest in. And if you would have told me you would be interested in this one day, I would have said, nope. <laughs> and then I find myself having interest in it. And it begins from like what you said, just said desire. Hey, I want to check this out. I want to see if this is true. I want to see if this principle is true. I want to see, and and all the stages of our lives, they teach us different aspects of that. You know, um, it's it's very different. You know, when you're when you're the child, you think a certain way, but then when you're the parent, everything means totally different. You know, and so on and so forth. And um, just the thought is, we can't love someone we don't know, and that that's a very practical way of of. Um, I think it was Del Carnegie in, in the book, uh, How to Influence Minds and Win People, or what's the, I, it's a very popular book, you guys probably. Uh, but he says the number one way of, the number one thing is to ask people questions about themselves. And everyone loves that in a way of getting to know each other. Just, hey, so what do you do? And showing interest in someone. And if you're genuine, just hey, so what do you guys do? What do you do for work? What does what decide what why did you decide to move here? Why why do you like this? Why do you have a dog? Why do you have and before you know it, you're deep into a conversation and you get to know about a person. And and um and everyone is so unique. It's just getting through that outer shell. And and when somebody understands that you actually want to know about them their whole manner will change. They're not as defensive. And, and you know, you don't, you're, you don't have to come as a, you know, a solar 
solar panel salesman on people's door. Hey, I'd like to know. It's like, hey, hey, what are you about? What's going on? What do you like? I think my wife's a really good example of that because she has the ability to just like start talking to people out of nowhere and ask them questions that I would not ever even think of asking. And, you know, we can, if we spend too long really anywhere, she makes a friend. And it's really bizarre because for me, I'm just not that way. Um, if I don't have a, a clear cut reason to talk to somebody, I probably won't. Um, very rare are the instances when I start a conversation out of nowhere. But really, it's it, it's an example to me that everyone is is starving for greater connection. And everyone, no one will turn down someone who genuinely cares. And that's that's the part, is that she does it without any ulterior motive. There's no guile there. There's no, what can I get from this person or what information can I glean from them? It's just genuinely so... How long have you lived here, and how long? How how's your work day going, and stuff like that? And I'm like, just leave them alone. <laughs> but for her, it's like it just comes so naturally, and I think that that's it's motivated me to be a little bit more like that, and to try and when it comes down to ministering, you know, because I do have people on my ministering list that I know are not active, and I don't know who they are, and it's so easy to just be like, I'm gonna ignore that. You know, I'm not going to go there, but why not? Why not just be like, Hey, this is, I'm so-and-so and even start out by saying, you know, I've been assigned this, this thing we, we're doing called ministering, but I just wanted to get to know you a little bit cause I don't know you and then go from there and make it a little more personal, you know? Um, but it's very possible, I think. And once again, like we we put limitations on ourselves because we know what we're capable of and we think we know what other people want or what they're capable of. But we neglect to recognize just how powerful the Lord can be and how powerful the Spirit can be when we initiate. Let him run with the ball at that point, you know? Let him take over and, and manage that interaction and that relationship. You'd be surprised what he's capable of, <laughs> even if you're not. It's all about just being, making ourselves available to be a tool, right, in the Lord's hands. If we put ourselves out there and say, I'm ready, I'm willing to serve, we have love for each other, he'll, he'll work through us, he'll make it happen. I just think about when, when you were on your mission and, and everyone was a potential investigator. You looked <laughs> at everyone as a potential investigator. And then you get home and you look at everyone as a potential offender someone who cut me off or someone who's literally, you know, like, and it's, it's a lot of it begins with our perspective, you know, how we choose to kind of look at the world and look at things as opportunities or obstacles, you know? Yeah. Cause I remember people on my mission and you'd look at them and you'd be like, Oh, you'd be such a great member, mm -hmm. except you smoke and you do this and stuff. But as soon as we get rid of that, you'd be such a great member of God. And then, <laughs> And then you look at people now in the ward and it's like, oh, they took my seat. Who does this guy think he is, you know? Yeah. And it's like, what happened? Where did we go from looking at everyone as a great investigator to looking just at, at our neighbor as like some offender or something, you know, that, that is out to, to make our day worse, right? God can make my burdens light. Limhi's people and Alma's people both fell into bondage. 
although for different reasons and different circumstances. What can you learn by comparing the accounts of Limhi's people in Mosiah and Alma's people in Mosiah 18, I think one thing I noticed is that the regimes that they were held and held captive under um, were a little bit different. Um, Amulon made it so they would be killed if they were caught praying. Um, that's pretty strict. You know, if you're caught praying, then we're just going to kill you. And that still didn't prevent them from being able to reach the Lord. It said that they reached out to him in their hearts. And nor did it prevent them from getting his blessings because he heard them and made their burdens lighter. And I think what that taught me is that no matter what your circumstances are, it shouldn't diminish your faith. You can still have faith. You can still pray in your own way and reach out to Heavenly Father. There's, there's people that, you know, maybe they're the only member in their family. And everyone is kind of rejecting the idea of them being a member of the church. And they feel really isolated, maybe a little bit captive to that. You know, I can't worship as I would want to, especially now that I have to do it from home. Because everyone in my home is like, what are you doing? Stop doing that, you know. But you can still have the faith that you need to receive blessings. That it, There's nothing anyone can do to stop that. It's, it's really interesting because in a way, it's exactly how we're living right now. Uh, as a whole worldwide community, we're all on some sort of lockdown. And certain states or cities or countries are more relaxed and others are more strict. And everyone is trying to do the best they can and they know how. But you are still can be blessed in whatever circumstance you're in and, and whatever restrictions your city or your state or whatever. And however, there are some that have been impacted very greatly. And then there's some that aren't impacted that greatly because they're in different locations, right? But you can still worship the Lord. You can still uh, grow your testimony. You can still find peace. And you can find that, sure, there are some inconveniences that have been born out of this situation for all of us. But there's also some... Um, opportunities and improvements like for example i've been able to spend more time with my kids than like ever before you know and they're probably going to have a really hard time when i go back into the office you know <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's like enjoy it enjoy what you can you know in a little while and everything will probably swing back to being normal and you know, yeah i was also thinking about it in in the context of what we're going through right now. Um, in, in verse 23 of chapter 23, um, when talking about the situation Alma and his people were in, it says, For behold, I will show unto you that they were brought into bondage, and none could deliver them but the Lord their God, even the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. And I feel like the Lord will often let us go through the things that we do to help us realize this, right? That deliverance comes through him. And he, he lets us go through trial and suffering in order for us to have an opportunity to build our testimony and our faith and our dependence on him. And you see that, that Alma's people obviously did stay faithful and stay true, even though they weren't even allowed to worship. And with Limhi's people, it took them a while. <laughs> Um, it took them a while. I mean, 
the, I, I, I do have to say this this these seven chapters are, would make a really great movie. All the different things that these people went through, but it, it they they had to be broken down completely. It says at some point they and they did humble themselves even to the dust. Right, it took them to be completely broken down, but eventually they also were able to turn to the Lord. Right, so it worked out for everybody in the end. But with our situation now, like our our gospel learning, our spiritual well being is all entirely on each of us right now, right? It's up to us to, to study and worship uh, because we can't gather together to do it. And so I, I, I'm constantly telling myself, you know, how well am I doing what I need to do through this situation? How well am I studying Come Follow Me? How well am I studying the scriptures? How well am I taking care of my own sp- personal spiritual development? Am I doing what the Lord needs me to do? You know, am I going to come out of this in the end having become stronger and having done what I needed to do for myself and my family? Yeah, it's interesting because this um, this uh, Corona COVID-19 lockdown, it's really put things into perspective into, at least for me, it felt like it's put everything into what's more important. There's a lot of things that, you know, there, there's a lot of things we do that are uh, nice, nice to haves, but they aren't necessary. You know, you, you look at the church, how the church has been on this kick of reduce and simplify. So, so, so that the core essence of the gospel can be the same all around the world and that everyone can do it. You know, the short and block hours, uh, the, the come follow me, you know, the ministering assignments, um, you know, the, even the way that they restructure the area authorities, all of that was done so everyone could partake of the full, this is what the gospel is, and it's not as complicated as we made it out to be. And then where possible, you can expand the programs and do a little bit more. Maybe these people will do this kind of thing, and over here they'll do this according to what locally makes sense for them, right? And I, I feel like this phase is like kind of for us in a way to do the same with our practical everyday living, you know? There are some things that, uh, you know, we at work we've been having some meetings and discussing how there's some surprisingly improve, surprising improvements that a lot of departments in our work have uh, been reporting on productivity actually going up uh, from having more people work remotely or work from home and, and that kind of thing. And, and it's kind of counter to what people thought would have happened. And, yeah. uh, and, and it's funny because it's kind of a way of, of resetting and, and looking at a situation in, through a different perspective. You know, we've we've always been stuck on a certain way that our lives have to go and, and a catastrophe has, it's come, it's almost like those people that have, uh, they always say, oh, I had a near death experience. And now I have a new, I have a new look on life. I, I take my time eating breakfast. I enjoy every time the sprinklers come on. I, you know, I, I listen to the birds and, you know, and, and it's, 
sometimes humbling or humbling situations can help reset us, reset our focus and say, hey, you know, maybe I should take this time to enjoy what and appreciate what we do have. Well, the last one is I can trust the Lord. Uh, even though they have repented of their sins, Alma and his people still found themselves in bondage. And we kind of spoke to this uh, at the beginning of the, the conversation. Their experiences show that trusting in the Lord and living our covenants does not always prevent difficulties, but it does help us overcome them. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd like to actually share a personal experience on that about trusting the Lord. Um, so I've been married for 12 years this summer. We struggled with infertility for a while. We, it was hard for us to to conceive and have children. Um, and we started taking doing fertility treatment. Um, we were able to finally get pregnant. Uh, and I'll back up a little bit. I we we've been going through this fertility treatment, and it's not cheap. And we, we'd taken kind of a pause for a while. And I was sitting in a sacrament meeting one Sunday, looking around just at all the families, right, and all the children, and, and kind of thinking, why can't I have that, right? And I got this very strong impression from the Lord. I knew it was it was direct revelation. That we should try one more time to go through this treatment um, and ask all of our family on both sides to to participate with, pay with us in having uh, fasting and going to the temple um, through this whole month, um, the Lord would bless us to be successful in getting pregnant. And so we did that, and it finally worked. We finally were able to get pregnant. And then five weeks later, we had a miscarriage after the first time of getting pregnant. And I took that, at the time, very personally. It was very hard. I took it personally in that I felt that the Lord had given me specific instructions that if I did this, that this would happen and I'd be blessed. And I did it and it worked. And then it was taken away from me. It made me question myself. And for the first time, I found myself questioning God. But through that, it actually, I came out of that, that um, trial learning to trust the Lord. And that he is in control. And I may never know why. Things happened the way that they did. I mean, never know why the Lord told me what he did, and then things happened the way they did. But I learned that even if I never know those things, that I just need to trust him, trust that he knows me, that he knows what I'm going through, he knows the, the struggles that we're going through. He has a plan, right? And since we've gotten pregnant, we have a beautiful five-month-old little girl who's... <laughs> amazing um and um i don't know i just trust the lord i mean like you said it, it's pretty straightforward and it, it, it's easier said than done it's easier said than done but we just have to, to remember that he knows best and he knows what he's doing and that things happen for reasons and that if we stay the course and, and do what we're supposed to do despite the challenge that we, that we face that we'll we'll find joy yeah, and you start to look back on some of those challenges and you say, in that moment, I thought I couldn't handle it. I thought this is more than I can bear. And somehow you made it through and the Lord helped you through it. Okay, so now 
if I can handle that, I can handle whatever comes my way. Because even if it's even more burdensome, even harder than the last thing, I can look back on that and say, he didn't abandon me then. I was, I was able to make it through that. I can definitely make it through this. And it, it just makes you so much stronger to have gone through challenges. Everyone should feel some sort of heartache, some sort of, like, like we said earlier, godly sorrow. Not, not just for repentance, but also just like, I haven't done anything wrong and bad things are happening. You, everyone should go through that at some point because it makes you so much stronger in the end to be able to say, yeah, because of the Lord, we were able to overcome that because we had faith because we stuck to our guns and we didn't stop reading the scriptures and we didn't stop going to church and we stuck through it. Our testimonies are that much stronger now. Come what may. And he answers our prayers in his own time. Just because we may not be, be finding relief for, from a, a trial or whatever we're going through doesn't mean that, that he doesn't hear us. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan to bless us. Sometimes the things that we're called to go through are lifelong challenges. Sometimes we won't find relief or answers to our prayers until this life is over or the next life. Um, and again, it's one of those easier said than done things. But knowing that he loves us, that he has a plan, and if we'll just stay the course, blessings uh, eternal are in store for us. Well, and to always remember the, the, the whole point of this, men are that they might have joy. Don't forget to acknowledge the little things that make you happy. Even in the midst of probably the worst trials that these people went through in these chapters, their kids probably still did stuff that made them laugh. You know, they probably still ate something that pleased them and made them feel happy. Um, they did kind things for one another that probably made them feel like affection towards one another. You know, we, we're meant to have joy. We're meant to share those experiences. No matter what bigger thing may be happening, Try to find a way to, to have joy, to, to enjoy things. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that He has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.